G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. An important conversation today about the journey that ushers us from pure information science to Jesus. It'll be an important conversation, especially for those who struggle with the concept of a design in creation. And of course, a design in creation needs a designer. Now, the truth is, information is everywhere. And we are immersed in what is called an an infosphere. We'll talk about an infosphere, no doubt, as we get our conversation underway. The need for a designer is the explanation of how a mathematically designed universe could not have materialized from nothing or by some random accident. And in a nation that increasingly thinks that there's no God, because of perhaps what children are learning at school, there's a developing connection in the rise of anxiety and identity issues facing young Australians. Well, our guest today is not only across the science of what we'll be talking about with information, but he's also... Uh, feet on the ground when it comes to what's happening with younger generations and a developing anxiety. Our guest through this coming hour is Dr. Robert Wiles. His new book is called The Mind in the Matrix, and it's been described as a little atom bomb of a book and an eye-opening analysis challenging the antiquated notions relating to the origins of the cosmos and life itself. Robert Wiles is a senior lecturer training doctors in the Rural Clinical School at the Australian National University. His new book, as I said, is called Mind in the Matrix. And I want to make a special welcome along to 2020, Robert Wiles. Welcome back. Thank you, Neil. Yes, good to be back. Robert, your new book only freshly officially launched at the Cooma Library only about a week ago. Uh, What happened at the launch? Uh, Good time? Yes. Yes, no, it's, um, Cooma's just a little town in the Snowy Mountains region, so we don't have a big library, but we filled the room with people standing at the back. Um, it's um, a f- good friend of mine, Dr David Leroy, um, we met at medical school and he helped me launch it and um, the, uh, we, had, we just gave a presentation of the book and then um, had a Q&A section afterwards, which I really enjoy and were lots of really good questions from the audience and then... In the evening, we had a, a more formal session where I, I actually talked about um, some of the material in the book and, um, and that, that was a slightly deeper dig into the material and um, uh, that got even more questions from a different audience. So uh, again, lots of Q&A, which was fantastic. Let me just uh, set this up at the beginning because when we talk about a, a slightly a deeper dig into the material, I'm reflecting on the very first time we spoke, which is a few years ago now, and you'd released your first book on this topic called The Information Paradox. 
And it was really, uh, in my assessment, uh, written for people at a high academic level. Now, I know you might have said, uh, you know, lots of people can understand this. So I was having some difficulty uh, catching a hold of some of the con- concepts in the first book. But your latest book is speaking to the rest of us uh, to be able to understand the science behind the information. And that's what you've set out to do with this latest book. Yes, yes. The um, the first book, um, I, I was really trying to lay, lay a foundation because what I'm doing is changing the paradigm that's been existing for 400 years where materialism is the basis of the universe. And that set up modern science quite well. But we've now hit a brick wall where we're not making any progress on all sorts of things like mind. Anyone in brain science will tell you they haven't really got a clue how the mind works, if they're going to be honest. And there's a whole lot of things like consciousness. Um, we don't know how that works, but we know it does. Um, and it, but some people are so frustrated they pretend it doesn't. And we all know that we use consciousness every day. So they're denying what we can sense. And um, so this, the first book was set up to, to see and to, to show that you can actually have a different way of looking at the universe and it holds water. And so the first book was very thorough um, and no one's actually been able to undermine the science of it. Um, the, the biggest criticisms I've had, as you said, is it's for the average person because it covers every discipline of science in the universe because information, as you said, is ubiquitous. Um, It builds everything. The information has to be able to explain everything. And as far as I can see, it does. So the second book is only a fifth of size and it's written in a way that I've taken out all the complex physics and some of the mathematics. And I talk about a mathematical universe instead of talking about string theory and quantum mechanics and, and, and things like that, which... Now, if you haven't done um, physics at, at high school or university, it can be challenging. Um, but the, the mathematical universe, everyone can get the idea of. The, um, and, and that resonates with people. And I did write it for younger people. It was actually a youth pastor who commissioned the second book. I'd only just released the first book, and, he, um, and I gave a talk to our youth group at church. And, um, and he said, oh, I want a book for the for youth um, they can read this and I thought oh how am I going to do that and so six years later we do have a book I'm not um, I have explained the concepts down to year nine and and um, and the you know, they're, you know they're intelligent students but they they got it um, so it can be explained but the the universe is built out of mathematics it seems from the ground up and we can go into some of that but it, it's absolutely beautiful um, um, but it's quite extraordinary, very different to what I was taught at school or university. Okay, so a year nine level can understand this book. And when you talk about such an incredible uh, way to approach this whole topic, you want to change the paradigm that's existed for 400 years. Uh, that's the paradigm yeah. that's really governing the way that our universities function and what gets taught in our schools about what is real and uh, the idea of a material universe. But but you've yeah. now approached this, and uh, you can lead us through here, but let me just sort of set the scene for listeners. Uh, you've really pointed to the fact that the universe is inconceivably complex, 
And this complexity is embedded in the laws and the fabric of the universe. So if you can understand the complexity, and you're saying mathematics, then this helps us to understand just how significantly complex it is. Take us into a little bit of this complexity. Yes, um, um, as, as time's gone on, this has been growing rapidly. In 2016, after I, I'd already printed the, the previous book, the L functions and modular forms database, which is a horrible mouthful, um, um, was constructed. It took 80 mathematicians from 12 countries to put every mathematical formula they could think of, and they had to put it into the internet because there was nowhere else to put it. Um, it was everything that they knew about mathematics. And there's five million pages of mathematics that these 80 mathematicians put together. And I can't even imagine five million pages of math. I did medicine, so I didn't have to do math um, because I struggled with it at school. But um, um, this is just mind-boggling to me. Um, and, uh, and yet the math is beautiful. There's, um, and and um, it all holds together. There's no nasty little corners where the mathematics doesn't work. Often we don't understand it, or in quantum mechanics, no one can agree what it means, but they all agree that the math works. And so that um, there's some cosmologists in the US are now saying that, well, the universe seems to be a mathematical object. When you go down... Um, just to clarify the material universe, I don't want anyone to throw that out. The material universe is what we live in. We require it. It was created by God, um, and it, it, it's a wonderful place to be, but it's incomplete in itself. To have a full understanding of the universe, we have to realize we live in a, a physical domain, a material domain, but underneath that, it's underpinned by information which is non-material. So we are both material and non-material. And when we get on to mind, I'll show you how human beings are both material and non-material at the same time. Right, it's a fabulous conversation if you're going to be joining in this. Uh, we're going to open our talkback line shortly. You might have a question or a comment that you'd like to offer and we'll create that opportunity, uh, but we don't want to miss some of the main points. There's another dimension to you, Robert Wiles, which I want to pick up on. Because it's such an important dimension and strikes right at the heart of the reality of so many and the way we feel and the way we think and the reason why you're wanting to change a paradigm that's lasted for this past 400 years and it's showing results now. You've noticed that as a doctor and training rural doctors that there is at this time a what we could call an anxiety epidemic. And you've been able to even plot the way that that's increased over the years. Take us into what's happening in the lives of ordinary people and what the connection might be to the sorts of things we talk about in, in, in regard to a designer in the universe. Yes, yes. This, um, this made me actually change the way this second book went. Um, I wrote it initially as a, just a cut-down version of the first one, but then... Um, I suddenly realised, well, my wife is a rural doctor as well and she does a lot of counselling and um, we've both noticed that the, uh, the younger generation especially who don't have a context to put um, the, what's happening in our current world into, um, they see a lot of meaningless in the world. There is no... If you, if you get rid of God, 
then there's no ultimate benchmark in the universe. That's summarising it very severely, but that, that's the ultimate truth. And so without an ultimate benchmark, nothing is meaningful. You can create your own meaning in your own mind, but there's no way to benchmark that against something. Um, since 1945, the, there's been a tenfold increase in clinical depression um, in Britain and the Western world. Um, and in, um, there's a Mission Australia does a, a youth survey every year. Um, I has came to realise this a couple of years ago where they had 28,000, a survey of 28,000 15 to 25-year-olds and they rated the, um, the most significant issue for their, their generation, their age group, was anxiety and depression. And um, that was um, um, vindicated or, or reproduced when they had another 25,000 this last December, um, three months ago, and they, um, I think they voted, there were 44% of the cohort put anxiety as the biggest worry of their generation. And I have four children who are young adults in their 20s now, but um, with uh, a lot of their friends, some of their friends have committed suicide. Um, the, the thing that Charles Newington was speaking about on euthanasia yeah, speaks into this, um, what you know, your previous speaker um, it's not only the youth, I suddenly realised listening to Charles, it, it's, the, um, it, it's everybody. And so people get to the end of their lives and there's no meaning. And um, I've, life is so precious. I've delivered probably a, more than a 1,000 babies um, in rural medicine. And every time you bring a new life into the world, you realise how special this is. And, and why would people forfeit it except that their lives are so empty. So um, the, um, this book is, in a, in a, in a, in a way, it, it's aimed at showing, especially young people, but everybody, um, the, that there is ultimate purpose, there is ultimate meaning, because there has to be a God who wrote the code that made the mathematics that runs the universe. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking to the author of a book which has been described as a little atom bomb of a book. An eye-opening analysis challenging the antiquated notions relating to the origins of the cosmos and life itself. Our very special guest is Dr. Robert Wiles. We're talking about his latest book called The Mind in the Matrix. And we're talking a lot around uh, the issues of information. And we're even talking about how that works out in the lives of people today when we discuss uh, the issues of the beauty of a baby being born or the tragedy of someone who's isolated and feeling as though their life is worthless and deciding that they'll take their life at their end of their years. A very, very deep conversation can come all around this topic. But as we get to what this all means, Robert, let's talk about information, what that means to our modern mind today. Take us into the connections here that help us to understand that the design is connected to the designer. Yes, <clears throat> and um, this is something that you can very, very powerfully speak to your friends and, and colleagues about. Um, the, the universe um, is full of meaningful information. 
and we know this because it works. Um, if you talk to any cosmologist, um, and um, Stephen Hawking admitted it, that um, it's a miracle that our universe actually fits together and works. And you can have a trillion, 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 trillion other universes and they wouldn't work because all the things aren't just right. But the universe is run by special laws. There's four basic sets of laws and they all fit together rather beautifully. What most people won't talk to you about is where did they come from um, and, and how do they mesh so seamlessly together. The other, the other thing that's a miracle is the, the life. Life is absolutely exquisite, um, but it shouldn't work. Um, the pos probability, if you did it by chance, is, is infinitesimal, and yet it does. And no matter whether you subscribe to Darwinian evolution or not, and that, I can discuss that as well, but um, um, the first cell cannot be accounted for by Darwinian evolution. The simplest cell we have is 30,000 pieces of information long. That's the simplest we have today. To put 30,000 pieces of information together by accident is inconceivable. So where did the code come from to write the DNA sequence for the first cell? Or who wrote the mathematics that formed the exquisite um, laws of the universe that drive everything the way they do? And the, um, the only way you can account for that is that there was someone at the beginning of the universe and to, I'll step back a bit, the, to have meaningful information, you have to have a conscious mind. Um, meaningful information doesn't come from nowhere. Everyone who had to hand in some homework the next day or a piece of work um, um, in their business knows that if they didn't work it at the night before, it won't be sitting there the next morning. You actually have to think about it consciously and um, put a lot of mental effort into it. So if we're going to have meaningful information, especially stuff that is exquisite as in life and the laws of the universe, it has to be written and it has to be by an intelligent mind or a conscious mind. Um, this mind had to be there at the beginning of the universe when the laws of the universe came into existence. And um, there, there, there wasn't anyone there as far as we know. Um, only the Bible gives us an answer. Okay, so 30,000 pieces of information into a single cell. And yeah. so if we even start with a single cell, we have to be able to say that if those 30,000 pieces of information came together, there must have been a purpose in that. So to be meaningful, the information also has to be purposeful. And you're saying yeah. the only way you can have anything purposeful is because of a conscious mind in the first place. So uh, uh, this is this is for a lot of people, no doubt, listening to us. Uh, this is switching on the light, uh, and that's a really powerful thing because sometimes we can be thinking that everything is just random, uh, but there's purpose in all of this, Robert. Yes, when you talk to people, they will say, "Well, the universe is just random," because they take the universe as a given, and they assume that the laws of the universe have been there forever, but Physics, 99.9% um, .9 of physicists or cosmologists will tell you the universe had a beginning. The mathematics confirms it. The Bible also confirms it. And so everywhere we look, the universe had a beginning. Therefore, there was, and there, they, the cosmologists tell us there was nothing there before the universe. So that means there were no laws. There was no mathematics. There would have been no meaning unless there was something outside the universe. So outside of our universe 
is some incredibly powerful mind that wrote all this code that makes meaningful information. Um, and um, I only know one solution for that. You know, when some people will make their critique here, they'll say, well, yes, I can agree that there is some all-knowing conscious mind outside, but how do we connect that mind uh, to what we Christians say is the God of the Bible? Uh, You've no doubt grappled with this. What are your thoughts here? Yes. Um, Oh, I should clarify that some people will say, well, there is, does seem to be some meaningful information in the universe because the laws of the universe generate things and they make galaxies and they make planets and things like that. And if they believe in Darwinian evolution, they say it made life. But I would suggest that they, the universe can only do things because it's a very complex machine and that machine has been built by an intelligent mind. And so an intelligent mind can create a machine that will then create something and, and, and people will say, well, you know, artificial intelligence can make robots and computers. But when you take it back to its origin, there's still an intelligent mind behind it. Since the universe um, uh, had nothing at the beginning, there had to be a mind outside of the universe. Science can't tell us anything that happened before the first instant in the universe. It can only tell us what happened since the universe was created. So we have to go to another source. And um, John chapter 1, verse 1 um, actually addresses this because if we're not told, we can't know. But in the beginning was the word, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Hence Jesus was the creator of the universe and everything in it. Therefore he is the mind and I've used the mind in the matrix. It, it, um, but Jesus is the mind that wrote the code that created our universe. And um, um, the Bible tells us so, and it all fits together. And the proof in the pudding there, and this would be a discussion for another time, but the fact of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, uh, irrefutable, all of the circumstantial evidence around that shows that he did rise and proving the things that he did say were true. Uh, no doubt there's some more to talk about when it comes to that whole proof in the pudding, but Jesus himself, as you say, the word from John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, we're talking about the word being Jesus Christ himself. Before we build some more into what we're talking about here, let's take a call uh, Michael's been waiting patiently from Maruya in New South Wales. Michael, welcome along. Hello. <coughs> Michael, we've got you. What are your thoughts for our conversation today? Sorry, uh, you've been waiting on there, and thank you for your patience, that's, but what are your thoughts? Right now. Yeah, I'd like to ask Robert, uh, <coughs> has anyone uh, been able to, to work out exactly through the Bible or any other way exactly how old the universe is, the universe and the earth and mankind? <laughs> good question. Um, yeah, very good question. <laughs> Excellent question. The, um, um, the, the one thing we haven't talked about, there's a lot of things we haven't talked about about information. I make the point in my first book. Information is non-material. 
And because information has no mass, Einstein said that which does not have mass does not experience time. And because information is massless, it, it doesn't have any physical entity in itself, it doesn't experience time. And you know this yourself. If, um, if you go and look at an inscription on a tombstone or go to the tombs of the pharaohs in Egypt, those inscriptions haven't changed. The information in them hasn't changed no matter how long they've been there. So um, I, my, my research into information can't give you any idea how old the universe is just looking at information. You have to go to um, some other source, a physical source, or it has to be revealed to us. And um, so you can look at the stuff in the universe itself, and there's all sorts of problems with that. I we won't go into that now, but um, otherwise you've got to read it in the Bible and, um, uh, or some other written source. So I, I, information can't give you a timeline, and I'm afraid I can't tell you how old the universe is from information. Uh, Michael from Maruya, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You can also respond to a question or a comment there on our Facebook post today, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Robert Wiles, as we talk about your new book, let's get into some of this idea about uh, what we could call domains of information because uh, information, I imagine, you've been able to uh, set up and uh, contextualize how information happens, and it seems to be that it has certain fields. Uh, take us into what it is to understand different domains of information, because perhaps listeners in this uh, cyber age that we are in understand this perhaps better than any other generation of the past. Uh, what about domains? Yes, um, we try to backtrack just for a little bit. Twice you've mentioned the infosphere, which is the whole lot together. And it's an interesting term, which I hadn't seen before, before I read a little book I found in England. Um, the infosphere isn't a word that's used very much outside specialist literature, but as far as I can find, the first time it was mentioned in 1971, um, and it was in an unlikely place, but um, R.Z. Shepard um, actually wrote, in much the way that fish cannot conceptualise water or birds the air, man barely understands his infosphere. So this is what you said about we're surrounded by information, but it's, so, it's everywhere so that we don't appreciate that it's there. And that's one of the big problems in understanding domains of information is that because we're wrapped in it all the time, we can't see it. Um, the best way I've found to, um, to unpack this is to look at your computer. And every, if you have a, a computer with a, um, with a keyboard, when you tap on the keyboard, it's a material entity and you, you, you type something into it using your material keyboard. When that information goes into the computer, computer scientists say it goes into cyberspace. It's processed within the computer. If you ask a computer scientist, and I've asked quite a few of them, where is cyberspace? They don't know. Um, it's somewhere in... They're in, in your computer, they think, but they can't tell you where it is. But all the literature for 30 years says that processing within the computer happens in cyberspace. Um, it's, they, they think it's somewhere, but they don't know what it is or where it is, but it's certainly non-material. When you actually read what you've typed on the screen, it goes into your mind and 
you um, and we say that that's now in mind space. So our mind operates in another domain. Again, mind and memory, no one can quite find out where they are. Everyone assumes that they're inside your head, um, but when people try and pin it down, they say, well, it's in your brain. And a lot of materialists will say, well, mind is just what the brain does when it works. But that's as far as the explanation can go because it doesn't actually explain it at all. Um, the, there's been 90 years of, of brain research now and a lot of different experiments, which I go into in the book, um, that show that mind isn't anywhere um, in particular in the book, in, in your brain. It's um, everywhere. And certainly um, consciousness seems to require the whole brain. When people have strokes and things, their platform, which is the material brain, gets damaged and they might not be able to communicate. But the memories seem to be still there. Uh, there's been experiments where they... They, they sectioned salamanders' brains um, more than 50 years ago and they found that after they, the one experiment in the 1970s, they shuffled the brain around. Then when the salamander healed, its memory was fine because although they'd shuffled the, the bits like a stack of cards, um, the memory was spread over the brain as a whole and we call that it's a holographic memory. The memory isn't anywhere in one place. It's spread over the brain as a whole. Um, in the um, in in your computer, we know where it is. It's in a specific place, and so we say that um, in cyberspace, information is local. In mind space, it's disseminated, which shows that the way our mind thinks and the way computers work is not the same. So there's two different domains there. Now there's another domain. The fourth domain of information is called the quantum domain. And this both fascinates and terrifies scientists because no one quite knows what quantum is. The thing is that we can't operate without it. I'm speaking on a, a mobile phone at the moment and it doesn't work unless quantum mechanics works. And we know it does. We just don't understand how. Um, but it, it works. It's, it's called non-local. Um, and we can go into that in the book, but there's, there's some complex physics in that. But there's these four different domains that are required when you use a computer or your phone. And, um, and this, is, this shows some of the complexity that we talked about when we started this conversation. Robert, let's talk just briefly for a moment. Uh, when people are holding tight uh, to that whole idea that we mentioned earlier, the idea of a Darwinian evolutionary model of how things have developed, and we're, we're really much more localised even when we talk about them, when we talk about the formation of the universe. But when people are holding to this materialistic, uh, random uh, way of thinking about how uh, human beings exist, when we start to bring this dimension in about mind space and quantum domains, uh, cyberspace, uh, what does that do to those sorts of theories that have tried to tell us who we are and how we got here? Uh, because this actually takes us far deeper and into a far more complex area of thought than, than what any of those things are, are, are actually leading us to. What are your thoughts on what this means for those sorts of theories like evolution? Yes. The, um, well, we've just covered about 20 things in that, that one question. Um, it's um, the real, the, um, we'll come back to evil, 
Darwinian evolution in a minute. Um, the, the, the wonderful thing about the, the model that I map in the new book, it's a, I call it mapping the information in the universe with the four domains and showing how they, they possibly link up. It pulls together. There's two great, um, there's a big chasm in physics between Einsteinian physics and quantum mechanics. And um, Einstein couldn't, he tried, he spent the rest of his life trying to uh, rationalise the two and failed. Um, and it's taken um, thousands of physicists and mathematicians since to actually build up a thing. The current um, theory that um, Stephen Hawking subscribed to is called string theory, where the universe exists in 11 dimensions and they, they work that out mathematically. Um, it's not proven, um, but it's, it looks possible if we exist in 11 dimensions, four of which are material, that's our, our, weight, our width, height and length, and the fourth one Einstein said was time, there are four material. There's seven non-material dimensions. No one talks about what's in those seven dimensions. All they say is we can't test it physically because it's non-material. Um, I would suggest that um, we, our mind... Um, is in, or our, I talk about our, our consciousness, like your dog or cat is conscious and horses and, and they're intelligent, um, they, that's in a fifth dimension. That's something that's non-material and yet it's associated with us. Human beings have a special characteristic um, where we are self-reflective. We can understand things in ways that no other species on earth can do it. And I call that our spirit. And uh, there's good um, grounding in the Bible to, to have these two different uh, categories. So I would say human beings are actually six-dimensional. Um, and that would use two more dimensions out of string theory. Cyberspace is obviously different to mine. So I would say that's a seventh dimension. And then we've got four more, which I would lump into the quantum domain. There's no evidence for this, but it, it fits. But by looking at, um, the, looking at information in this way, you can tie the two halves of, um, of physics together in a logical way that makes sense. Um, but you can't, you can't do it otherwise. And Einstein didn't have the power of computers and our understanding of information technology that we now have today that um, allows us to unpack all this. When we talk about, as you say, in the past, uh, where scientists have been able to grapple with uh, some issues around the universe and they've looked for simplicity at the beginning and then that becomes more complex, uh, as you've been describing, as you get into uh, all of these non-material aspects when we talk about the universe, uh, information, mathematics, thoughts and consciousness, all of these things are so much, much more complex than the idea of trying to find simplicity. How do we then connect with, as Christians who look to the Bible, God's revealed truth, uh, how do we then connect the Bible to this complexity, because it seems to me like the Bible is saying more about the complexity than what the scientists would be saying about the simplicity. How do you describe the, the difference here? Yes, okay. The, um, uh, this is where the paradigm matters. What you believe is the foundation of the universe determines the way that you frame your thoughts. And if you frame your thoughts saying, well, the universe started as a, um, a random 
explosion in the Big Bang and that there was nothing and then the laws of the universe just made it, um, then you're starting very simple. And this is what um, 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 Richard Dawkins does. And he said the beginning of the universe had to be simple. And the only explanation for a simple beginning um, is Darwinian evolution. But if your paradigm is, well, there's a fantastic amount of meaningful information in the universe and meaningful information can't write its own code, then there had to be a writer of the code. So there's a mind behind the universe. Um, and if you start from that paradigm, well, then you say, right, well, there is, it, what didn't start simple, it actually started rather complex. And that's what physics actually tells us. The second law of thermodynamics says the universe is winding down. It started more complex and it's now becoming less complex as it winds down. And so who wound it up, basically? And so it depends where you start from as to um, where you're, what, what conclusions you're going to draw. The thing about information is that if you, and this comes back to Darwinian evolution, um, we, each species has its own code. It's unique, and that's reflected in the DNA, amongst other things. There's, there's lots of code in, in living things, but the DNA is what everyone will recognise. Um, that code is more complex as the organisms get more sophisticated. So mammals have a lot more code than, than bacteria. And um, if you want more complex code, then you have to write it. It doesn't just put itself together by accident. And so um, the thing about Darwinian evolution is that it is partly right and mostly wrong. Darwinian evolution, what I call microevolution, is correct. And that's all the things that are quoted to everybody, like the Galapagos finches, like the peppered moths in England, um, like um, um, as animals um, uh, change slowly to fit their environment. And that's a survival thing. That's, that's actually written into the code. But the, there's no mechanism within Darwinian evolution to make, make more sophisticated code out of less sophisticated code without an author. And so um, macroevolution, um, um, microbes to man... That's impossible without rewriting the code and using an intelligent mind to do so. Um, also, the tree of life where they say we started as something and then branched out into everything else, that's impossible too because you need uh, always ask where did the code come from? Um, whereas if you've got code already um, within a species, well, that species can vary by random mutation but within very tight bounds, and that's called microevolution. And that's where a lot of the confusion comes from with Darwinian evolution. Wow. There's so much in what you're sharing, and what it does appear to affirm uh, to me is that, uh, and this is something of a pat on the back for those who've gone generations before who've believed God and applied that into their science because that's where the best science has come from. If you believe that God created, you're able to understand much more of the universe and the myriad of information better than that 
two-dimensional model that leaves God out of the picture. I mean, this is, uh, this is something that uh, every science student, every science professor perhaps uh, could do with a, a little injection of uh, because this dimension that you're bringing to our attention actually increases our understanding. And, it's, and I guess if we say uh, we are Christian people, we're connected to God, uh, we sometimes talk about having the mind of Christ, then understanding that the universe is going to be so much better for us and easier easier for us because we have that mind of Christ running out of time but a, a quick reflection on on that and and uh, this oh, connection yes. to God I would say always John Lennox um, um, who I think is a know, knows more about a lot of this than most of us um, he actually points out that the majority of scientists who made breakthroughs in the scientific last 400 years um, were Christians and um, they, if not, they built on people who were Christians who have um, had scientific input. So, no, you're always going to be better off if you have a, a Christian mindset because you're going to be thinking about it in the way God, God did it. Well, there's lots more to explore, I promise, in Robert's new book. It's called The Mind in the Matrix. And I did mention that he wrote an earlier book and uh, it's got much more complex information there called The Information Paradox. So wherever you're, uh, you might be on the spectrum here of someone who's just wanting to know some more and to understand some more about the mind uh, in the matrix and information as we've been talking about that today or whether you're wanting to get into a really deep study and look at all of the complexity of more an academic level, the information paradox may be the book for you so two choices the introductory one the one that people like me can understand uh, or the other one that some people in scientific academia will much better apply to let me give you the website as to where you can get a hold of robert's new book the mind in the matrix simply look for robert wiles website robert wiles w-i-l-e-s dot com dot au that's robertwiles.com.au dot au and no doubt you can google the mind in the matrix and you'll come up with a, another way you can get a hold of robert's book but uh, my encouragement for you is you're if you're a scientific person if you love to talk about science if you love to talk about origins and you want to be a person who can uh, really ascribe more deeply to the apologetics uh, what it is to defend christian faith to defend the bible you can't go past robert's new book it's called the mind in the matrix robert wiles i want to thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020 it's a pleasure neil thank you very much Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.